Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Now, here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Morning, everybody. This is uh, Patrick Donahoe. You are listening live to the Wealth Standard Radio. We are broadcasting from Salt Lake City on a brisky, a brisky November morning. It's uh, it's been a while since I've I've been on. I think it's about a, about a month. But uh, I I've I've come back to the the radio with uh, probably the perfect perfect guest who was on here about six months ago. His name's uh, Andy Tanner. Andy, what's uh, what's new, man? Hey, how you doing, Patrick? Thanks I'm, I'm for awesome. having me. I'm awesome. I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of bummed that this is not on video because you're you're some eye candy this morning with especially with that shirt. That shirt is awesome. Oh, That's a visual people yeah. don't want. But we're uh, Andy and I are going to talk a lot about uh, the the markets today. We're going to talk about um, his his business, what he's looking at, and kind of the state of the economy, which is it's really uh, on pretty much every headline these these days and newsletters and blogs and everybody's talking about. Uh, kind of what's going on is there's differing opinions out there. We're going to get into a lot of those theories and uh, just kind of break them apart and see see what's really uh, what's really going on. I think Andy is uh, he's an expert in that field and he doesn't. I mean, he has uh, his his opinions, but at the same time, he looks at things objective as objectively as possible uh, because there are different ways to analyze things and different perspectives that you can have really on on anything, not just uh, not just markets. But it's uh, it's going to be cool to kind of dissect a few things uh, a few things today. Uh, before we get uh, get into that. Uh, we uh, we have a, a live video tomorrow night that uh, is our last as as part of the Wealth Standard series. So definitely tune into that. It's going to be at Daniel at seven seven p.m. seven p.m. Uh, Mountain Standard Time. So it'll be live. Uh, you can go to the wealthstandard.com and it'll have uh, a link on there and it'll be broadcasting live via YouTube. So check that out. We also have the last four parts of that series uh, that are available on that same URL. So uh, so definitely check those check those out. Uh, we're also kind of revamping some of the things on our website. So if you go to www.paradigmlife.net, we have a, a resource section now that has uh, quite a few articles. It has a lot of videos that we've done in the past, uh, just a lot of the the kind of the, the history of, of Paradigm from a content standpoint. So, uh, so make sure you go and, uh, and register for that free resource. All right, so Andy. So let's talk a little bit about Andy. So Andy, you were on about six months ago. You have a, a really awesome website and a ton of resources on there, educational resources. So your website's andytanner.com, and people can go on there. They can subscribe to your uh, your email list. Uh, you have a, a pretty uh, active blog. You also do a lot of webinars on there, uh, but you have some courses as well, and you teach people you know, what you found to, to be valuable from an investing standpoint. Uh, and a lot of your philosophy you explain through uh, two books. They're also available on your website. The first one is 401 Chaos. And then the second one, which is your most recent book, which is Stock Market Cash Flow, which was written kind of underneath the, the Rich Dad umbrella. Uh, so is there anywhere else that people can get those books? Is there the best places on your uh, website? You know, if, if people want the hard copy, Amazon.com will do okay. for sure. If, uh, if they'd like an electronic version, particularly 401 Chaos, they can go to 401chaos, which is 401kaos.com okay. forward slash paradigm. Okay. And I'll uh, let them have a, a, a free, free electronic oh, nice. copy. If they if they want an electronic copy, I don't charge for, for the book if they go to 401chaos.com slash paradigm. Cool. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll put that URL on uh, on the blog as well. Great. Okay, cool. 
Uh, so what are what else have you been up to? I mean, we haven't we haven't uh, we've interacted a little bit. I, I send you some random texts every once yeah, in a while. You, you send me pretty good texts that make <laughs> me laugh. I have to, you know, there's a no no text while you're driving rule in the world, <laughs> and that's particularly true with Patrick because you'll get in an auto accident. The stuff you send is hilarious. <laughs> but but we've uh, we've been having a lot of fun. We've been investing, we've been trading, and we've been teaching. And uh, it's, it's like you mentioned, we do a lot of webinars, and it's really fun to watch people get interested and take a more active role in, you know, in, their, in their plans for their money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an old saying that might be cliche, but they say many people spend more time on their Christmas list or their holiday gift list than they do on their planning for their financial yep. future. And I, I think that may be true in some cases. Yep. And these days you look at... I mean, we were talking before before we, we were on air about just, you know, naturally Americans, because of just the whole retirement system in general, have a lot of their, you know, a lot of their financial resources tied up in the market, but it's tied up the traditional way, and they really don't have control. And so a lot of kind of the, the volatility that's gone on over the last few months, I mean, there there's sentiment there, and, and a lot of them don't realize there is some control uh, that they have. And that's a lot of what you teach, right? That's a huge point. And that's a good one actually to make out of the gate is, is risk has a relationship to control. If I have lots of control and I can force something to happen, you know, there's less risk. The less I can force, the less control I have, the more risk I have. And if I have no control, I guess I'm in the realm of gambling at that point yep. where I spin the wheel and hope it lands where I want to. Yep. And that's where you and I have really aligned. Um, the reason we wrote 401 Chaos is to remind people, gee whiz, you know, they, uh, you, you remind people they don't have control over 401ks. They have to hope the market goes up. They have to, you know, hope things. And hope's not a good strategy Mm-mm. for retirement. Nope. And it's, it is a gamble. And that's a lot of what you, you pointed out. And I think, I don't know, you look at the intentions behind why the retirement system was created. And I guess there was some, there was some value there. But at the same time, in any transaction, you always have two parties, right? You yeah. have, you have a per- both people that are that are trying to benefit. A person with a four hundred and one k, their incentive is you know they may get some tax benefits. They're invested. Hopefully, you know they'll be put into diverse funds that'll grow with the economy. But at the same time, there's another party. Most people don't pay attention to those other party or parties, which right. is Wall Street, which is the administrators, which are those that are incentivized by raising money because they are able to to charge fees. And a lot of what four hundred and one k chaos talks about is really you know th- that side of things and how. You know, because of that system, there's a lot of people that have taken advantage of Americans and have made themselves very, very wealthy and cause bubbles and cause crashes and cause fraud and and so forth. And so a lot of, again, the philosophy is it's not necessarily that, you know, 401ks or or IRAs or qualified plans are bad. It's just the element of control is, is really where, you know, individuals fall short because they are basing this this uh, growth on hope that hopefully the market does what it did the last fifty years, but that hope strategy has failed a number of times. Yeah, I you made a great point that I it'd be remiss if we didn't really make that clear and really hit it. Is that we you know I don't necessarily recommend one investment over the other. I've always stayed away from that. I think people need to make their own decisions, and people are in a in a individual situation. Yeah. But the fact, they, they say there's three sides to every coin, heads, tails, and the edge. And intelligence resides at the edge. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we say, look, here's both sides. Let's, let's, you can, if you only look at one side, you're only getting half the data. You can only make a decision on half the data. If you look at both sides, 
we feel you can make a much more intelligent decision, mm-hmm. and that's what we uh, we do our best to do and accomplish with with what we teach. And intelligence is. I mean, it's really it's looking at our our rational, uh, our ability to rationalize, our ability to use our logic, and oftentimes when you look at investing, the the thing that gets in the way is is our emotions. I mean, human beings are natu- <laughs> we're naturally emotional, and a lot of what we experience, and you do the same thing because you you kind of operate a very similar uh, business strategy as as us, where we're able to connect with people around the world and around the country. Uh, even though we can be in the comfort of our office, right? And we're able to, you know, illustrate things and talk about things. But And that has given me, probably you as well, the ability to see how people live their lives, what people have done financially, uh, the success that they have, the mistakes that they've made. And you look at a lot of people's sentiment these days, and it is uh, emotionally driven. People are afraid 100%. of collapse. They're afraid of this dollar crisis. And people are, you know, loading up on gold, not because – they're 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 uh, they're rationalizing and it's an intelligent analysis, but they're there's just, some fear. There's some fear, fear around it, and it was it was awesome um, when we were on the the real estate guys cruise uh, a couple a couple of months ago. Uh, it was very you know it was hard for you because here you are with this hard asset group <laughs> yeah. that has you know a lot vested in hard asset real estate, a lot vested in gold and silver and metal. And yet you are a, a pure paper, paper asset, asset guy, yeah. uh, and but you came on there, and obviously you faced that type of you know <laughs> uh, that debate in the yeah. past. But it was great to see how you were able to kind of extract the emotion side of things and look at you know how you can logically do the same thing you're doing in real estate, same thing you're doing gold and silver with paper assets. Yeah, I well, I think paper assets are misunderstood because of the traditional way people invest in them. They buy it, they hold it till they die, and they hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And, and there's not any type of active management or, or adjustments when new data comes out, which is, to me, insane. How could you run a business if you didn't change when things change, exactly. when legislation changes, yeah. when tax laws change? You have to change. But it was, it was kind of funny. I mean, you know, people worry about paper assets because they can't hold it in their hand. And I was laughing because they were, they were selling. And I, I, not that this would be a bad investment. It might be a great investment. But the point was is... They were selling, you know, coffee bean farms in, in South Columbia America. or something like that. Columbia, South, it was Columbia. Yeah. No, it was coconut farms yeah, in Colombia. Coconut farm, and, and I thought, you know, that's cool. I go, how do I know I own that farm? They go, well, you have a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, if they if they go doom and gloom, where everyone's got their gold gub grub guns and gas, and it's martial law. Yeah. And, I mean, it got pretty. Yeah. It got pretty. You know, a couple of those guys, I felt like, gee, you know, we're 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 going to end in Armageddon. I know by that time corner. our ship comes back to port, yeah, it's like it's the like cities are all going to be burned burning to the ground. Down. And I thought, you know, it it really all comes down to to paper. Um, will someone honor a contract? Will they honor a deed? If you have gold in the vault and you have a piece of paper that says it's yours, do they honor it? You know, when it comes, if you want to go from from social to primal, you know, a primal world's not really that attractive. No, at all. And, uh, and if I think historically we might have, you know, a good example might be Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. We had a problem. There was some crime. People act in a primal way for mm-hmm. a while. But that stuff, I, I don't think it lasts forever. No. I think we're civil for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you rebuild. When currencies collapse, you know, the there's people, a new currency that comes Yeah, when the, yeah you, you, ink up a new piece of paper and yep. here's your new deal yep. so yeah and it's and i and, and i kind of I, I try to steer away when we when we talk about what we do and when you do the same thing we try to extract that that emotion because i think 
these days with the, the yep. marketing that's out there, whether it's newsletter marketing or gold marketing or real estate marketing, a News. lot of it tries to engage engage emotion where people you know will make a decision because it you know incites fear in, in them. Yeah. And I, and I it's not that I disagree with you know some of the uh, the, the the things that they're saying real problems right because there are there real are a problems. lot of real problems but at the same time you know when has the world not had problems you know and especially in our modern society I mean go back just a hundred years and you can list off all sorts of I mean you had world wars you had Vietnam you had the Holocaust I mean yeah. you, you had insane you know insane things going on worse kind of worse than today in a sense. Uh, but yet today, with with our problems, there are definitely there are definitely issues. But at the same time, you got to step back. And I always I always think about uh, something that uh, the Rothschild I can't remember what the, what what Rothschild it was, but he said that when there's blood in the streets, even if it's your own, buy. Yeah. And it's really to kind of extract emotion and say where where's the opportunity? Uh, if there is a collapse or if there is a correction, what am I gonna what am I gonna do? Right. And that's yeah. and that's a lot of the questions I ask with people, especially people that load up on gold. Is okay. Well, when it does collapse, you know you're going to now trade it for the, the, a new currency. How are you going to know when? How are you going to know yep. why? Who's I, who's going to actually take it? <laughs> I like what you uh, you said about emotion because it doesn't mean that there isn't real problems. It just means that how do we attack those? Do we do it with fear? Do we do it with intelligence? I I used to give an analogy, which which dates me, but I used to talk about emotion with Star Trek. And I'd say, you know, you. well, you know, this is Captain, like new Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, you're called Captain Kirk Star yeah, Trek. Okay. Talk, <laughs> all right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, William Shatner would be a terrible investor uh, simply because he can't believe he can lose no matter the odds. He just doesn't believe he can lose. Yeah. Dr. McCoy would be a horrible investor because he doesn't believe you can win. That's his job. You know, Star Trek, you go where no man's gone before. You face a moment of peril, and you win, and it's captain's log. Awesome. So McCoy's job is to actually think this time the Klingons might win. This time, you know, damn it, Jim. You know, and then, uh, and then you have Mr. Spock. And, and Mr. Spock is logic. You know, they evolve without, a, without emotion. And he would be the best investor of the group yeah. because he's simply going to say, well, what, what makes sense here? Oh, wow. And, uh, and so I always, analogy. I always awesome. try to tell people, if you want to invest, try to you know, get your little Vulcan uh, yeah. V up there with your hand and, yeah. and invest like Spock. Yeah. There's two emotions that we face when we, when we invest. The first one, they're both fear-based. The first one's greed. And greed is the fear of losing out on the big score. That's how con men work. You know, that's, that's in my, my opinion, many penny stocks have that. Boy, it's just a penny, and what if it goes up? I, I might lose out on a big score. Uh, the other one is panic, and that's the fear of losing what you got. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'll tell you, that's a bigger one than even greed because when people Absolutely. start to panic, off we go, and you can see that in the stock charts. Our gross domestic product doesn't gyrate to the same extremes that our stock market does, and it's still emotional, mm-hmm. and, and it's electronic, and it's fast. Yep. So I, I agree with you 100% is when we look at problems, I think one of the biggest problems, people want to talk about the Fed, but I think one of the serious problems we face is fiscal. Uh, we had the fiscal cliff, and, and we, we seem to be okay going off of that. Um, it's reduced the deficit by a trillion dollars, you know, a trillion-dollar reduction, mm-hmm. but that short-lived that legislation is is temporary uh, as as far as the prob- problem it's it's putting our finger in the levy to plug a leak in the levy there's pressure on that levy yep. so long term 
um, I don't say we need. I don't say let's be scared, but long term, let's recognize that as a problem and possibly an opportunity, mm-hmm. and uh, and adjust accordingly. That's where the four hundred one k people really need to pay attention and become logical, or uh, or there'll be emotions. Yeah. That's for sure. So two so two things. I mean, I, I think the first is. It's not. I mean, you got to pay attention to your emotions. Of course, you want to yeah. try to extract those and be be rational right. and really think through the situation. But at the same time, you can also that's that's a very small percentage of people because regardless of what we say, it's it's difficult for people to you know really try to extract that. So if you look at the majority of people operating on this emotional basis, you can now look at how people are going to react to specific scenarios, and you can. You know, project what if the stock market does this? What are people going to do? What if gold or silver does this? What are people going to do? If, you know, GDP or inflation does this, what are people going to do? And based on seeing how people are going to emotionally react to that, that presents opportunities for you. Trading within a system helps remove emotion. When we have criteria and we, we, ba- we invest based on certain criteria in the market, that makes it more robotic. It makes it less emotional. Um, it makes it more intelligent. You know, if A happens, then we're going to do this. If B happens, then we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we always have an exit strategy for when things change. Yep. So the second thing, and this is something we were talking about as well, is this idea behind, you know, the, the fiscal fiscal issues. So a, a lot of, you know, what the what the government is, is doing and has done is it really tries to control the, the sentiment of, yeah. you know, the, the U.S. population, the world population at yep. that. Because if you do have bad numbers that come out, you have – uh, you know, PPI or CPI has these some shifts. You have, you know, uh, trade deficits that have shifts. If you have those shifts, those statistics and those numbers incite, you know, incite emotion in people. And that emotion causes them to behave in a way that is not rational and it could adjust markets. And we look at, you know, all the panics that have happened in markets. And, you know, obviously there's some, you know, there's, there's technical issues, there's fundamental issues. But at the same time, now you add that panic into it. And it, it exacerbates exacerbates those other statistics. So I think of like, you know this idea behind fiscal fiscal policy and what are, what's the government trying to do? And I in my I mean looking at QE, what are they trying to do? You have this big bathtub that's you know tons of water is going down the drain because of people of divesting and deleveraging and so forth. So they're just trying to fill you know fill the bathtub up with all the money that's leaving. Yeah, and that has insane insane consequences. But it makes sense. To why they were doing it, right? Now, not now. It doesn't mean it's a good thing. But at the same time, if you start seeing, you know, negative two percent, negative three, negative four, negative five, think of what that would have done to the U.S. population if they saw this deflation and you know the economy is sinking. What would that have done? Well, the deflation. <clears throat> we, it seems that the the recent benchmark, our our memories are pretty short. Um, we we tend to look at I think at the Great Depression as the worst thing ever happened because our grandparents went through it. We heard the stories oh, and yeah. all this, and so deflation is frightening to people. And so it's like avoid deflation at all costs. We can't have another Great Depression. Mm-hmm. You know I think it'd be harder for that to happen. We didn't have as much credit in those days. We didn't have consumer credit at all hardly yep. in those days. Uh, the stock market was something for aristocrats. The average guy lived on a farm or worked in a coal mine. Yep. Um, it wasn't until the the emergence of the 401k that the average Joe began to get exposure to these markets. So I think it's a totally different world. But like you say, avoid deflation at all costs. We don't want to have another depression. So we throw anything we can to keep keep it afloat, keep, and keep the keep the balloon blown up. You know? So what are other, what other fiscal issues are you are you seeing that are going to create? Biggest, 
you know, some some changes? I think there's two things that, that well, there's you can always make the list longer, but I think there's primarily two things that I look at right now. Domestically, on a, on a national level, uh, it's obviously our entitlements long-term. That's the big one. That's the $100 trillion liability. So Medicare, Social Security. <clears throat> Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Those three right now are, are over. Uh, well, and as inflation grows, that'll grow. I think that health care and college tuition are, are inflating at twice the rate of, of normal uh, consumer price indexes. It's going at twice the rate. So, so that's a big one. If our GDP is, let's say, sixteen trillion, um, our on balance sheet liabilities is seventeen trillion, but the off balance sheet is a hundred. You know, which, where is those you, op, which is those unfunded obligations? <clears throat> correct. Yep. Where do you where do you get the money? It's a lot. You know, for people that are listening, that this is new to them. The way I, I would explain this is is if I buy a car, Patrick. Uh, and I put, you know, fifty thousand dollars on my, you know, on my debt by buying a car with debt. Mm-hmm. The bank sees that. That's on the balance sheet. Yep. The the credit agencies will see. Okay, Andy's in for fifty grand for for this average car. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However, if I'm at the football game and I see my sons and I say, I'm going to promise you that I'll pay your college tuition when you turn 18. You just focus on getting good grades. That'll take care of it. In a way, that's a debt. That's a promise to pay. And my kids will rely on that. They'll build their lives around that. When they knock on my door at at 18 years old and they say, Dad, remember when you said you pay for my school? I need a half a million dollars now. If I don't have that money, i got to borrow it. And that's what's happening is we've promised. It's not not the debt, the $17 trillion. It's the baby boomers that we've promised, Mm -hmm. like my son's college. We've promised them health care. We've promised them Social Security. And as they age, that creates a predictable demographical event that that we can put on paper. And that's why our deficit uh, is such an important thing to watch long term. We may have got it down for the time being, Mm -hmm. but that thing's going to explode within the next about the next five, six years, it's gonna be right back up there again. And it's different I mean it's a little bit different <clears throat> than with your with your son. If you <clears throat> promise one person one thing, you know, there's there's yeah. definitely flexibility in there. But right. if you've promised millions of people of voters something of voters <laughs> and those that do have assets, do have influence, that's Yeah. So the first yeah. thing I see longer term is the that's the big fiscal thing at home. The, the, and we can talk about monetary another later or another time. The second thing I see is is the same thing on a global scale, even larger. You know, I look at Japan, and they're uh, probably the most important fundamental number when you look at a nation would be a ratio of their debt, and then measuring that against their gross domestic product because a, a nation's gross domestic product is what they produce, what they bring in, the money they make, and you can only pull taxes from that. So if your GDP sinks, your expenses remain the same, your revenue's gone down. Yep. You know, and so I look at a country like Japan and I don't know, they it's like they've just gone And they just made another move. I, mean, I know that the it's not like a eight, seven or eight year low now isn't yeah, it? the end of the, the dollar it's i mean because they pumped in a bunch re- recently and it's i mean in those ish, those things affect the world it's not yeah. just the the japanese economy but china, it's the entire world yeah uh china south america so when you step back and look at the fiscal challenges there and you talked about emotion you know contagion is is a is a real factor mm-hmm. 
when when if if a big economy like Japan's a large economy, European blocks large large economy, China huge economy, mm-hmm. <clears throat> those things ripple over and and people get emotional about them. So those are the things I watch for. Cool. Uh, the little swings, you know, we can now nah, those aren't any big deal. A good trader has exits and stops, mm-hmm. and you know we we manage that very well. But we want to keep our eye out for the big stuff, not from a standpoint of fear, but. Just what if scenarios? If this so, happens, what do we do? So your four your four pillars essentially that that philosophy kind of takes a <clears> lot <throat> of these events and it takes what's going on around the world. And because you're able to kind of uh, filter that information, that strategy allows you to know how to position your investments. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's not a proprietary system. It's it's not something I invented. It's been around for a long time. We use the four pillars as a teaching tool. Uh, it simply unveils what pro- professionals do. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's very simple, actually. It, you know, it, it might be a little bit more complex in execution, but from an understanding standpoint, mm-hmm. you can explain it in two minutes. Mm-hmm. The, the first thing we've been talking about here is, is we talk about numbers. <clears throat> and numbers are what we call fundamental analysis. And those that have been, you know, watched CNBC, we talk about the fundamentals. Well, did the earnings do well? Is their growth well? Uh, what's happening with uh, the balance sheet and the income statement. And that happens on every level, Patrick. I care about uh, balance sheets and income statements in my own home, you know, my personal fundamentals. I care about companies. I care about countries. A uh, place like Detroit at the municipal level, they're – their fundamentals have been a little rough. Yep, don't have a good know. balance sheet <laughs> you know, anymore. Pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> and again, uh, Detroit, what was their problem? Unfunded liabilities. Mm-hmm. Firemen, policemen who put their lives on the line. All of a sudden they say, you know what, we can't afford to keep these promises anymore. Just like my kids in the tuition. Oh, mm-hmm. we can't afford it. And they go to the Supreme Court and say they can't declare bankruptcy. And the Supreme Court says, actually, uh, bankruptcy is legal and they don't have to pay you guys. Yep. They say, what? And so that's, that's fundamentals. Yep. Um, we talked about the emotion. The emotion comes from what people do. That's supply and demand. So let's say I take a stock chart of Apple, Apple computer. The stock chart doesn't tell me if they're earning money. The stock chart doesn't tell me if they're growing. It tells me whether people are buying their stock, mm-hmm. how they feel, exactly. that emotion, how yep. they feel. So you talk about emotion. Let's say Apple comes out with some earnings that are rough and it gaps down. Stocks often fill that gap. You know, you get an emotional fight with someone you love, and you walk out angry. And you know, next day you're like, "Well, wait, Apple's still a good person. We still like <laughs> Apple. Steve Jobs is is gone now, but we still like the iPad. Let's buy him again." So the emotions come out in what we call technical analysis. So we we analyze fundamentals, the actual numbers, and then we analyze the supply and demand. The price movement is where the emotion is now. We can't control either of those, but we can look at them and measure them and decide. And this is a big one for the 401k listeners, because if that data spells trouble, all you can do is hope it changes someday and recovers before it's too late. And that's a rough position to be in because you lack that control. I look at those numbers. They stink. They're, 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 they're. They suggest you know pretty devastating consequences, and we sit and we hope it changes. And because I think- within within kind of that framework, the majority of 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 qualified accounts are are vested in mutual funds, mm-hmm. which really only have one strategy, yeah, and, that, mo- and that's it. Most of it's in equities, and a little bit in debt. 
<clears throat> but they can but just go up. They can't. They like, can't as you, there as you, you teach, you can go up, down, or sideways. Correct. They they can go one direction, and that's it. So that's pillar three. Yep. Uh, first pillar is fundamentals. What's the data? Second pillar is technical analysis. What's the supply and demand? The third one is, do I have the agility to profit? And this brings up a great point, Patrick, because the question I always get is, Andy, what do you think the stock market's going to do? All the time. Oh, is the rocket out of fuel? You know, is this thing going to go further? Are we just getting started? Mm -hmm. Or is this thing topped out? And it's strange because people want me to give an opinion. I say, well, for the short term, um, you know, I'm a little bullish. For the long term, I'm worried about the fiscal stuff. Mm -hmm. But really, I don't care. You don't care. I really don't because we will use strategies like Goldman Sachs. You know, Goldman Sachs, I mean, they made a killing in the subprime meltdown because they took short positions. So the third pillar is your your cash flow positioning. How do you position yourself? You look at the data. You say, you know what? I'm going to make money on the downside. I think this thing's going to fall apart in the next month. I'm going to make money on the downside. We trade what we see, not what we hope. We trade what we see, not what we hope. That's awesome. So, and, and then, so you make a decision on that data, and then here's the biggest one, and this is where the pros make their money. This is where we make our money. It's in risk management, where unlike a 401k, 401ks don't have any risk management. They say they're diversified, but yeah, it doesn't mean anything in systemic terms. Yep. The whole market crashes, you're going down. doesn't matter what the fundamentals yeah. say. How'd, it's how'd, going diver- down. how'd that diversification work for you in 2008 and nine? How'd that go, you know? And so, uh, so you know, Warren Buffett says diversification's for the ignorance, for people that makes very little sense for those that know what they're doing, unquote. I mean, he literally said that. Yeah. So, so the risk management is what's key because if I'm wrong, and this is where you guys come in, I have insurance, and that's the beauty of insurance is it's an amazing. Why would I not want contracts? Why would I not want guarantees? Why, I, why would I not want uh, to, to pay a little premium to where I'm, I'm insured, I'm covered, I can sleep at night? I, I talk to people like this, Patrick. I talk about their home. I say I'll have a group of people maybe in a class, you know, three, 400 people. And I'll say, how many have insurance on your home? They all raise their hand. I say, okay, well, how many have insurance on their 401k? No one raised <laughs> it. And then I say this, so which one's more likely to burn down in the next six months? <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and they're like, oh, wow. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, and, it's, yeah. and, it's tr- and it's true. And, and a lot of, a lot of in- and I, I'm assuming from your class, a lot of individuals don't understand that, that concept. They don't understand that. You know, there is insurance yeah. against against securities. And that's kind of the way you position going, whether it's up sideways or, or down. That's right. We protect ourselves. Look, if there's a – you can't predict a fire. You shouldn't live your life scared of a fire. So what do you do? You get a smoke alarm. You get an extinguisher in your pantry. But you also buy insurance for when you're not there in lightning strikes. Yep. So it's pretty simple. That, that, that's one of the issues, though, that we have with 401Ks. And it would make sense – you know, that you and I would align this way because of our businesses. We are about protection. We are about assurances, promises, guarantees, um, stability in chaos. And those are things that I, I think uh, help calm some of those emotions. You feel, better, you feel better at night if you're insured. And I think the overarching, the overarching theme is, is, edu- is education. Oh, yeah. 
and it's no, knowing what you're knowing what you're doing. It's being able to analyze, have the education to do that. That so surprises me about about your business. It shouldn't, but it does because it it, it is amazing to me. It's rare and uncanny that that people that you know because people that haven't have products, financial products. Mm-hmm. It's usually just product, 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 buy the stuff. I mean, the answer to every question is buy my stuff. Yeah. And and I've always been <laughs> taken aback. Well, isn't it really? Yeah, I mean, oh, it I, is. You know, yeah, you, go down sure. to, you go down to Ameritrade and it'll be buy my stuff. Buy my, you go to Ameritrade. Yeah, anywhere buy and buy my stuff. Yeah. And so and so it blows me away because you spend so much of your time. And, you know, I, I you know, we're, we're, we, we're, we're, we've been dabbling in preparing to do a fund. And you know we've been paper trading and and doing some some investing with our with our strategies and they've worked very very well but but the big thing we've always wanted in a fund is you have a limited partners and I believe in that they're, they're limited but they're still partners they should understand what's going on you yeah. you should here, here's a great idea let's not invest in things that we don't understand and i just think that's an amazing component of your business that you spend so much time energy money resource to educate your clients things like this you know who does who does podcasts like this to talk about you know the economies and and get people interested in fundamentals and and sovereign debt and to understand those big picture things when they just oh just buy my stuff yep so that that's always been amazing to me that that it really does begin with education money doesn't come from anything else if you have money or find someone that has money or wealth, they have it likely, if they're self-made, mm-hmm. they have it because of what they've learned. Exactly. No, and I think, you know, you look, you look at our, our society today and, and how people are, are behaving. And, you know, the headlines that most people gravitate toward are, you know, the Kim Kardashian photos or the Charles Manson <laughs> gets his marriage license. Or hey, stuff. By the way, what, what's, what's Lindsay Lohan's parole status? What's I have no idea. <laughs> But that that's the thing is, you, you know, you have people that gravitate toward, you know, these different areas of, of life. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of it, I mean, uh, finance in a modern society, money, transaction, currency is, is, is how we live, you know. It, it's conspicuously absent from school. I mean, uh, I learned geology, you know, I learned an igneous rock and a sedimentary rock and everyone dissects a frog, it seems, at some point in their life. Um and those are great things. You know, science is great. But but all, I, maybe the vast majority of the education our children are, uh, are exposed to is, uh, is to work for money and not to have money work for them. And, and I believe the true principle of wealth is to have money work. I mean, think, even the finance classes in colleges point towards, you know, getting a job or... Well, Abby, it was funny because I'll I'll pull my kids out of school because it's really about what we teach them at home, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're learning a little. I mean, they're only six and eight, yeah. but uh, it's kind of fun. Cause, they look like they're twelve and fourteen. Well, they're they're big boys. <laughs> yeah, they're like their dad. They're big like their dad. I'm gonna have to start feeding them hay, you know. But <laughs> but uh, but their teachers in school don't couldn't give you any insight on monetary policy or fiscal policy, or even balance sheets. They're pretty good with, with income statements. They have a ledger and a checkbook, and they teach the kids to add and, you know, and spend less than you, you know, spend less than you earn. But the idea of a balance sheet mm. is absent in high school and junior high, where 
There's no reason. If my kids can learn what a balance sheet is and they can learn what an asset is and a liability mm-hmm. is at six and eight, we could teach this in junior high. You can teach it sooner probably. Yeah, I mean, we it, don't. Yeah, and, and that's – I had a kind of a, a, a disagreement with uh, my kid, one of my kids' uh, teachers because we took them out to – we go and visit my wife's. Uh, my wife is originally from Mexico, so we go. We go down in into Mexico, uh, and you know visit her family and hang out yeah. there for you know a week or, or ten days. And it's the experience they get there. There's no way they would be able Tremendous to. And, and, education. Yeah, we don't necessarily go into a lot of the financial financial things, but just the the experience they have there, and you know getting to practice their their Spanish and seeing how you know another society that lives and interact with their parents. Tremendous I mean, there's education. just stuff. That, yeah, it, pulling them out of school. I mean, they they were the teachers were arguing, well, they're going to get behind, and there's this whole. It's kind of like really. No, they're further. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a status quo that's created in our educational system that you know people have to fit this mold. They have to fit yeah. this. You yeah. Know, you you have to have this, you know, check this off, check this off, check this off, check this mm-hmm. off. And if you don't, you're you're this, you know, rogue, abnormal, black sheep type of type of person. Hopefully the iPad changes that. Hopefully, you know, the, the thing that's cool about college now is professors, you're, they're going to get checked in real time by their students. I mean, those students are going to be on those iPhones checking them in real time. And kids are getting smarter. They're, they're starting to understand. I think we'll see more financial education. I think kids are getting wise to the idea that we have more student loan debt than credit card debt, which is another thing that's interesting to talk about. Um, I think they're getting wise to that stuff. And I think the realm of financial education, it's, it's a little ahead of its time still. But these kids aren't dumb. They they know where to get information out. My kids don't ask me anything. They Google everything. They know I don't know a thing. They Google <laughs> it all. So, so it will change. But boy, you hit it in you hit it in the bullseye. Getting an education really helps you with your investment decisions and how you organize. You know what it is that you really want. A four hundred one k is just so out of sight and out of mind, and they're not working. I mean, the data. You know, it's crazy, Patrick. The data on those is is just frightening because here we are sitting at all time highs, and our accounts are down. Um, if you want to, I, I should send you this article. Um, one of the people I follow is Alicia Munell from the Center of Retirement Research at Boston College. Okay, yeah, and she has tremendous data. That's all she did for years. That's that all website, she does. that institution has a lot of good data. Too. Oh yeah, yep. she she. I mean, that's all she does. And about. Uh, Oh, God, what was it? Maybe a couple months ago, maybe a month ago. She released her, released her latest findings. Check this out. From like 2010, your average 401k age 55 to 65 is like $111,000. And by 2013, huge bull market, it's down 10 Gs. It's down 10%. People are having to pull money out to live. They're They're not contributing as much, but even so... The market has gone nuts. Should have nuts. compensated for that. Oh, the market's gone nuts. Yep. And, and, you know, fees and other things. She lists the reasons why. Yep. But it is a lack of education. People yep. don't know where the money is. They don't know what those 401ks are about. And my, and my point, kind of going on, off on this, in this direction, is, you know, you, you look at society and what they, what, they, what they focus on, and there's only so much that our, our mind can process at any, any given moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so looking at, you know, really what drives a person to change their paradigm or change their perspective on money really comes down to kind of an, emo- an emotional shakeup. And I think, you know, 2008 really caused people to, to ask questions and take yeah. a different direction. And I think there's going to be, you know, some other chaos as well, which get people to really say, 
man, I need to pay attention. I need to educate myself. This isn't working. And that's really what it, what it comes down to is a person having enough of a, an incentive to do that because, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, what really makes a person change? It's hard to be, you know, you look at the emotions as, as you speak about the shakeup of 2000. Uh, not eight and nine. I, I see the chart in my mind. You know, you have the dot-com bust, which the market lost about half its value. Then you have the subprime meltdown lost half its value. And now we've surpassed those highs, significantly surpassed them. And you look at that trajectory, and I just think, my gosh, man, do we really think that's sustainable for another five years? We really think that it can it can stay on that exponential place. And you know, I think short term, you know, I, I trade month to month. I look at the month and say, what am I going to do this month? Some guys trade week to week. I'm not a day trader that does it every day. Mm-hmm. But but I trade month to month, and I think, you know, one one of these months, I will switch to the bearish side. Will the people in the 401K switch to the bearish side? No, they won't. They can't. No, they won't. Yeah. Well, a lot of them can't. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the as far as, you know, changing direction, it's like, you know, moving the Titanic to mu- move big mutual funds. Yeah. With, so no, I, with no life. The problem with the Titanic was there's no lifeboat. Yeah. It wasn't the iceberg. <laughs> We're going to hit the iceberg. It's like, hey, I, don't, I have no lifeboat. Oh, you know? Well, so. let's, let's kind, of, uh, kind of ending. I wanted to just talk on a, a few different points and then also at the end um, maybe get some recommendations yeah. from you as far as you know, blogs that you, sure. that you follow, books that you're, you're reading. But my, the big thing that I've uh, – you know, over the last couple of years, and this is really since 2008, I think there's a lot of opportunists that have taken advantage of the fear that existed. And they mm-hmm. have you know, perpetuated that through uh, you know, their newsletters and their media and so forth. And a lot of the information, as I said before, is, uh, is, is valid, and I agree with a lot of it. Uh, and so the biggest concern that people have is really that, you know, the, the dollar is going to collapse. It's going to lose its reserve status. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have here the, you know, here are the issues with the, the U.S. And here's what shows us that this is going, going to happen. Uh, so I look at that and I try to step back because a lot of that information and education is that they, they, they inject the element of fear into it, which I don't really mm-hmm. like. So I try to step out and really look at kind of how, how, I, how I interpret that and what I think about that. So that was a question I wanted to ask you is, you know, you probably received some of that same, you know, that, yeah. that same feedback. 100%. Yeah. So what, as you, knowing you, how have you kind of stepped out and looked at, okay, uh, will it happen? If it happens, what do I do? I mean, what, what's kind of your, your thought process well, in regards a, to that concern? That's a real perfect question because my heart and my emotions have been bearish. Really, they've never really changed since 2009. I haven't felt that, you know, that the QE is just printing more money without creating value in GDP. That just doesn't compute with me. And so I've been bearish saying, well, this can't work, this can't work. But there's a saying that we have as, as stock guys is you have to trade what you see. Mm-hmm. Because when it really comes down to it, the best measurement in the world is what people actually put their money where their mouth is. And when they put their money where their mouth is, markets go up or down either way. So the, the way I step away from the emotion of it is you trade what you see. I mean, think you mentioned the dollar. Oh, it's going to lo- lose its world currency status. You know, there would be ramifications to that, big ones. Um, that's not something I think we would have one meeting somewhere and decide in the world. That's, that, that would take some time to, to do, I think. And come to fruition. Yep. No question. So I don't think that's we're going to wake up one day and be surprised by that. There'll be chatter and whisper and you know that'll be a process but you know the collapse of the dollar you would think 
you would think that with all the QE we've done, I mean, the massive amounts of scale, $85 billion a month for a year, yep. that, and yet the dollar is strengthening if you look at the charts. Mm-hmm. You, the do- and, and this is probably so political. Can we be politically incorrect? This is a terrible analogy. It is politically but indifferent. It's, it's like currencies, fiat currencies, it's like a beauty contest where there's no cute girls. <laughs> okay, that's what fiat currencies are. None of them, we don't really like They're any all fiat, fiat and none of them look They're good. They're all fiat, you know. And, and right now, the dollar is just the least ugly girl in this contest. Um, and so I think people are, are going to the dollar because they feel it's that the United States is, you know, they can print money. They think they might be able to keep their commitments. So we're seeing strengthening in the dollar. And these gold guys, guys that have gone, you know, if they're buying gold at 1800 an ounce. They're hurting a little right now, and now their bias comes in. Well, I'm, I'm invested here. I have to stick with this belief that everything's going to come down. And you know, Matt Kirkoff, uh, also on the cruise. I think he and I were like below. And he and I not hardly did. I called him McKenzie once. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's a good friend of mine, yeah. and uh, I, I liked having our voices there mm-hmm. to where there's two sides. So. So, yeah, as far as the dollar goes, I'm going to trade what I see, Patrick. And we're agile enough in paper. Uh, we're agile enough in paper that we can move to other assets. Mm-hmm. If we uh, see, we can trade stock in any country or currency you want to. You can open up accounts anywhere in the world and have your stuff moved around. And, and that's not a problem. It's so liquid. Nope. So, yeah, I, I think the dollar long-term fiscal problems – force the monetary hand Mm -hmm. which affects the dollar so i do think there's pressure on it long term because of fiscal problems we have yeah how as i've kind of stepped away i mean i agree with with what you're saying and there's a lot of other things that that could happen but i've come to the conclusion that number one i don't have any control over it it's gonna it's whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen so there's either Mm -hmm. two things Either society collapses, which it doesn't matter where you have your money, yeah. or their society will move on. It will continue to progress like it always has been. And at the end of the day, what is money? Money, money represents something. Yeah. Money in and of itself doesn't have any value. right? So money represents a good. It represents a service. It, rep- yep. it represents what people are willing to, uh, to exchange their, their currency for. Yeah, you, you remove currency, you're down to barter. All currency does is lubricate our ability to trade. That's yep. all it is. And, and so it comes down to barter. And, you know, there, you mentioned books. Um, one of the books that we studied recently was Chris Martin's book, The Crash Course. Yeah. And there's a doom and gloom book for you. Oh, yeah. The difference is that guy's got a lot of data. I mean, he's he pretty does. compelling. Yeah. But the thing I, I liked, he said in that book, is to learn to trust yourself. So if you, you know, you have these people, if you want to call them fear, Patrick, you have these people that, you know, everything's going to heck in a handbasket. We're going to be, have this blood in the streets. Well, look, it's wise. Am I a prepper? To some degree, mm-hmm. I have a year's supply of food, mm-hmm. medicine, clothing for my family. Um, I have uh, I have home protection. I don't have an arsenal with, you know, I'm not planting mines in my front yard. <laughs> but I, I, I have home protection because if, a, you know, if you have a municipal like Detroit, if municipalities lose their money, then you have to take protection for yourself. Now, that's insurance, Patrick. Mm-hmm. I don't have... I don't want people to interpret the idea that I have food storage as 
I, a belief that we're that I'm going to need it. Mm-hmm. I don't buy life insurance thinking mm-hmm. I'll need it. That would stink if I ever used it. Mm-hmm. I don't buy fire insurance or car insurance thinking I'll need it. It's just in case. And people say, well, doesn't your food spoil? I go, doesn't your car insurance spoil? <laughs> it's insurance. Yeah. That's it. So you get peace of mind personally in your own castle, mm-hmm. and you, you have enough there. But But you're not going to be able to protect you know, billions of dollars if you go to anarchy and war and, you know, it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. So you do the best you can and have serenity in the things you can control, things you can't, and wisdom to know the difference. And I I think I, and I I think it's the wisdom to to, to know the difference. That's really kind of the interpretation of what's going on. But I think as a society, I mean, I think something that's natural to a human being is is they want to survive. And nobody benefits Mm -hmm. from a collapse. Mm-hmm. And I think as a as a society, I think oftentimes these shakeups. I mean, it's kind of the the saying, "What's the cure for a depression?" A depression that's the yeah. cure for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think a lot of shakeup ha- has to occur. But I think society is going to move on. So it's really knowing what's going to happen, and then knowing what to do a- after that. And I and I feel a, a lot of the fear associated with with how people are looking at our future. Uh, it's paralyzing because it doesn't allow them. To, to really, you know, build a business or educate themselves. Because, like, I mean, crap, everything is going to hell in a handbasket. Why, why would I do this? Why would I do that? And that's not, that's not the case because, yeah, it, there could be some correction. But at the same time, hopefully society lives on. If it does, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? What businesses could you – what value could you provide to the world? And I think that, that element, because it's, it's deteriorating from our society, which, which, is, which is hurtful to me because – I mean, I think uh, as I was reading Chris Martinson's book as well, uh, and going and I and I heard about him and his video series a number of years yeah. ago. Um, I actually pulled up uh, a chart that shows the amount because he obviously talks about compound curves. Sure, and how things are exponentially sticks. growing. Yep. But what I did is I I looked at the amount of patents that were created over the last uh, you know x amount of years compared to his charts, and the patents also have an exponential. curve. That's awesome. And it's and, you know and, and what that is, it's indicative of you know even though there are human beings that are you know hiding in a cave or you know. Are digging out a missile silo and putting a you know million dollar condo in a missile silo to you know to you know to be able to survive the apocalypse. Uh, you also have people that are in innovating, that are creating some yep. amazing technology solutions. Because one of the things that people don't don't really uh, take into consideration is the kind of the idea of what you don't know. You, you don't know what you don't know, which mm-hmm. is the X factor. You don't know what technology is going to come online that will yep. you know completely. Social security problem, Medicare problem, completely go Bang. away. Yep. You, know, you, you have other technologies that will, you know, allow for better communication. I mean, I think the the government, in a sense, is its value is deteriorating because now you have a world that polices each other because of the internet. I mean, I don't, you know, depend on the go- the health service to determine whether this restaurant is good or bad because they have a license on their wall. I go on to Yelp or Urban Spoon, and if it has crappy ratings, I'm not going to the restaurant. And it's the same thing on, on Facebook. It's, you know, it's yeah. the, the Anthony Weiner. You know, that guy totally screwed himself. Hey, he you got can't. on twi- Twitter. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is you, that may not have existed 50 years ago. And people may have elected him. You can't do anything stupid because of YouTube and cell phones. Yeah, exactly. You just can't do anything no, stupid everything's anymore. Everything's documented. <laughs> you, know, you can't. And, and it's awesome that, you know, a lot of the, the Internet has and – the, and the Internet providers in Google and Apple and Facebook have, have really uh, held true to – encrypting and privacy and making sure that the internet stays as free as possible because it has allowed us to, to police each other. So again, at the end of the day, my point in saying that is, you know, in, in our society, 
people are people are progressing. It's just a natural. It's a natural thing. Yeah, there could be some chaos that happens over the next little bit, but at the end of the day, you know, I think we're going to survive. I think it's going to be it's an amazing time right now to see what the world is doing, and I think there's going to be correction. But the thing that excites me is you know baby boomers right now they take you know they take up pretty much all of the head positions of everything, yeah. insurance companies, businesses, government. And look at their li- look at their lives and look at what they've gone through and how much change has occurred, especially in the last ten years. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, they're paralyzed. They are right, and they're they're going to start to retire and leave those positions. And who's going to take those positions? Well, that's Japan's problem. Yeah, Japan has a population problem that's wor- they have a baby boomer problem worse than the United States. Uh, and the problem Japan had, you know, I always say this: if you want to know how to predict the future. Look at policy and look at demographics like we have been. Look at a demographic. Yep. They're moving along in time. Mm-hmm. Look at the policies with time stamps on them, having to withdraw from a 401K at 70 and a half, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Things that have time stamps and population. Well, in Japan, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't buy property unless you're Japanese. They're very traditional yeah. over there. you got to have a 100-year mortgage over there. Why? Because your family has to go into debt, not the person. Because you got you got a hundred year mortgage, yeah. why to keep demand up, to keep demand up, you know, to keep uh, prices high. So as we talk about baby boomers, look at demographics, look at policies. Da- baby boomers begin to retire in mass. There's your social security bomb yep. that happens, and I, I agree. I think you have to look. You can't be uh, altruistic. You have to have your eyes wide open. But people can drown for two reasons. They can drown because they can't swim. But they also drowned often because they panic. Yeah. And when intelligence goes, goes, when emotion goes up, intelligence goes down. You know, That's think awesome. about your wife. You know, honey, I didn't really mean to say that. I was upset, right? Or don't make decisions when you're angry. Don't make promises when you're happy. Mm-hmm. Um, when emotion goes up, intelligence goes down. Be like Mr. Spock, man. Just look at the data. It's a great philosophy. <laughs> and that, and, you know, and kind of in, in ending today, I mean, that's, that analogy is just kind of indicative of your overall education, your books, the way in which you present things. Because I think oftentimes leaders and, you know, self-proclaimed experts, they, 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 they cite this data point, this data point, and this word and that word that nobody else understands but them to put themselves on a pedestal. And people trust them because they feel that they're smarter than they are. Mm-hmm. But looking at how, how you deliver education uh, with your courses and, and so forth, your books, you, you really you really are able to explain it in a in a way which everybody can understand. Hard. And because it, it's absolutely true, I mean, Spock is just kind of a ran, it's a random analogy, <laughs> and it's complete fiction because you know Klingons don't don't exist and. And uh, what is Spock again? He's a, He's a Vulcan. Vulcan that's How right. could you not I, know I that? I know. I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's it is it is early in the morning, but it, yeah. But it, it's you know the, the idea the idea there is you ba- you take something that somebody else created, you know, Star Trek and entertainment, and so forth, be able to extract something that everybody can understand, uh, because yeah, it, it makes it makes perfect sense on how you can basically extract you know the emotion that has typically led you to make bad decisions in the past and avoid those you know potential pitfalls in the future. We, when, we do edu- when we look at education in our company, we, we have three values that we hold to. The, the first one is that education should be fun. I didn't have fun in school. I didn't like school. Uh, I didn't think it was fun. And, uh, and people will do things when it's fun. 
And there's no rule that says education just can't be a blast, yeah. that we just can't have a great time and laugh and have fun and make jokes and still learn along the way. The second value that's, that's even more important than the first is to make things simple. Genius is not using fancy words and making the complex more complex so we sound smart. Mm-hmm. True genius is when we can take a difficult concept like monetary policy, you know, uh, sovereign debt, and reduce it down to everyday language mm-hmm. where a single mom who's waiting tables at Denny's can understand and change her life. And then the third one that we, the value that we have, is that the education must be real in that it can be applied in a person's life and benefit them, that the true evidence of education is transformation. And if it's real, it'll transform what they can accomplish and what they can do. So those are the three values we have, Patrick, is we want to make it fun and have a blast. We want to make it simple to be understood. We want to make it real so people can transform their lives and apply uh, without application. It really wasn't education. they got to be able to do something they couldn't do before. And I think these days it's, it's education has been so easy to – it's so much easier to give just because of oh. the technology that exists. And so, yeah, so in ending, uh, if you are uh, – if you want to check out Andy's, Andy's site – uh, there's a newsletter you can subscribe to. Uh, he does. He also has different educational packages that you can purchase. Uh, his books are on there, uh, and so so definitely check check those out. And uh, you know, if you do have interest in this, I mean, it, it's be, it's so much easier today than it was 20, 30 years ago yeah. to be able to be involved and have control over over the assets that you've worked so hard to accumulate. You know what what we can do. I'm thinking on the fly. The best place for people to start if they want to learn what we do is really do. Uh, get your free copy of the 401 Chaos. Go to the go to the website. You can post it forward slash paradigm, and maybe uh, maybe we can you know put on some free webinars. Or I have a I have a great 90 minute um, class uh, that's recorded that they can get if they want. If they want to send an email to you or whatever. Okay. Let's see if there's an interest. And if there is, I've got a, I've got a killer 90 minute. Gives the history of the 401k. Tells people both sides. And in 90 minutes. You can get an awesome education okay. on 401k. Do you have a URL on that? I don't. We can make one and then post yeah, that. Yeah, if you want, um, you know, find out if people have an interest. Okay. Because if they do, we'll, we'll do that for free. Okay. I mean, awesome. people should learn that stuff. So that'd be cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Andy, it was awesome to have you here. Always, oh, always a pleasure. You live awesome. like 20 minutes away. We need to do this more often than six months. So. 100%, man. I would love it, Patrick. Okay. We have a good time. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, everyone, thank you uh, so much for listening today. And I uh, will see you. Uh, see you next week. You've been listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard for everything financial. Thank you for listening.